All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the great fur debate in Canada and right here in British Columbia, too. It seems kind of weird to talk about wearing fur during the middle of a heat wave. It used to be the height of fashion, but uh, lots of uh, big, big blows happening to this industry in Canada late last week. Luxury department store chain Holt Renfrew announced they will go officially fur-free by the end of 2021, the store says this is part of their sustainability mandate. They will no longer sell fur coats and fur products. Canada Goose, maker of the luxury winter coats, the iconic Canada Goose jacket, famous for the fur-lined hood, they will go fur-free as well in 2022, according to Canada Goose. Meanwhile, right here at home, the fight against fur farms in British Columbia heating up. A new ad campaign and a petition drive aimed to ban fur farms in British Columbia. There are several farms in B.C. raising minks for the fur industry. A couple of them had a COVID outbreak recently. Let's discuss now with my guests. We have both sides of it. First, I'm going to speak to Alan Herskovici. Alan is a researcher with truthaboutfur.com. He's the former executive vice president, Fur Council of Canada. And I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Alan, thanks for coming on. Hi there, Mike. Nice to be here. Okay, Alan, you must be disappointed. Must be a, This is a big blow to your industry, I imagine, when you've got big retailers like Holt Renfrew saying they're going fur-free, Canada Goose going fur-free. What do you think? Well, I, th- I think it's sad, but it, it's also a matter of concern, and not just for the fur industry. I think that all Canadians should really be concerned, because the reason why Canada Goose has backed away from fur, it's pretty clear, is they were subjected to years and years and years of really aggressive protesting at, uh, on their stores in different countries, huge campaigns by major groups like PETA, $100 million groups, um, and, and they basically at the cost of security costs and, and PR costs, were obviously finally too much for the bean counters. And uh, remember, the Canada Goose got uh, sold majority interest to American Venture Capital some years ago uh, and on the stock exchange. So, you know, it, it, it clearly goes against all the values Canada Goose has talked about all along. Canada Goose has always said, and it's still on their website, they understand that fur is responsibly and sustainably produced. They've understood yeah. and they've been proud that they're supporting northern communities and First Nations communities. Um, so that they make this change. We've seen them since a year ago. They said they had only used recycled fur, and now they go to this, and what happens right away? PETA says, oh, well, we're going to stop our campaigns and do a moratorium now, leave them in peace because they've done what we told them to. And, and you know, this, it's, it's, this, this is just the latest example of the sort of bullying campaigns we're seeing from certain extreme activist groups and, I mean, the question is, is this really the way we want companies or governments or whatever to make decisions? Especially okay. in this case, where, where obviously, you know, fur is sustainably and responsibly produced in this country. We know that well. So, you know, moving away from fur is certainly not for sustainability. Okay, Canada Goose, big worldwide brand and a very iconic company. Um, what kind of fur do they typically use in their in their jackets, do you know? Well, they've been using for the trim, for the, for the rough around the hood, which is, provides protection for the face in extreme cold. They've been using coyote. And, and, yeah, and coyote. coyote is like highly abundant in this kind across North America. Coyote populations have expanded over the last decades across all of North America. We even have coyotes now in our cities. 
We have coyotes that are eating people's puppies. Uh, in Montreal, where I live sometimes, you know, there's coyotes in the city and biting people. We never used to see that. There's a proper, so coyotes have to be managed. And the point is, whether or not we use fur and apparel, uh, coyotes will be managed. Um, but if it's mm. not being done with an incentive from the market, then the government will have to, to do it like they used to before, and people will be paid to do it, and the taxpayers will flip the bill, okay. and they'll be thrown in the trash. They won't be used, which is oh. not an ethical solution. Okay, when you said that Canada Goose had been using recycled fur in their coats, like what, what is recycled fur? Well, they hadn't done it yet, but what they announced a year ago was that as of next year, they were planning to try to, to use fur, recuperate fur that was already in another garment. When people sometimes stop wearing a garment, this is done a lot. There's a number of people that will take old fur coats and, and take them apart, and the fur can still be used and turned into something oh. else. And they had said they would try to do that. By the way, that's just another example of why fur really is sustainable. And at a time we're trying to you know, deal with the waste that happens in a lot of the fast fashion that we have now, and over right. 60% of what we wear is synthetics made from petrochemicals that do not biodegrade. You know, the fact that fur lasts so long and then can be reused in other products, you know, that's another aspect of, of its sustainability. Okay. So, uh, you know, it, it's, but the point is coyotes are highly abundant in Canada, and they do have to be managed, and they will be, whether we use it or not. So, okay. uh, you know, that, it's, it's, it's too bad that Canada Goose has been pushed in this way. Speaking to Alan Herskovici, truthaboutfur.com, uh, you mentioned that, you know, this is sustainability argument, which is, um, you know, a very common kind of phrase we hear a lot, that industries and companies want to have a sustainability uh, mandate. And this is what Holt Renfrew has been saying, that they've decided to stop selling fur because it's part of their sustainability goals as a luxury retailer. But you're saying that the fur industry is sustainable right like it's not like these animals are going to oh, go yeah. extinct yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. no no i mean no and this is the terrible irony and this is why i said i'm concerned how off track some of these discussions are going from reality and from science and biology and wildlife biology you know the the world conservation union the, the iucn as part of the sustainability you know the word sustainability comes from the world conservation strategy which was the, the idea that we should be making sustainable use of the surpluses that nature produces. Part of what right. the, nature makes more animals, more plants, more everything every year. And part of that, you know, we can use without harming ecosystems. The fur trade in Canada actually happens to be an excellent example of responsible and sustainable use. You know, we don't use any endangered species. They're not used for fur. We're only, fur in Canada is only being used part of the abundant, you know, of abundant populations without diminishing right. the populations. This is actually the goal of sustainable use. And so it's so it's sort of funny if it wasn't so sad that companies are saying these things, uh, you know, which are totally opposite. And then okay. sometimes they're using fake fur, which is actually made from petrochemicals and uh. makes no, just to be clear, nobody has to wear fur. People are free to choose to wear fur or not, they wear leather or not they eat meat or not. Now, these are personal choices. What's sad here is we're seeing activists pushing to impose their own particular views on everyone, and they're doing it with kind of protection racket tactics, literally like sort of mafia protection racket of, you know, I'm going to pressure you, and I'm going to attack your store, and I'm going to make your life miserable until you do what I say. Okay, well, let me, sometimes let me... it's just simpler for the companies to back off, you know, which is a sad thing. 
Let me ask you this, Alan. Last question for you. I mean, you're saying that the, these companies are knuckling under to pressure tactics, but these companies are in the in business to make money. I mean, that's that's what it's all about. Bottom line is they want to survive. They want to be profitable uh, and continue to make a lot of money. So I would imagine if that you know if you're an executive in the boardroom of Holt Renfrew or Canada Goose, I mean, you're looking at this campaign. You're measuring public opinion on attitudes toward fur, and you're saying, you know what, this is doing us more harm than good as a company. Let's stop selling this so we can we can remain in business and keep being profitable. Isn't that what it's a, isn't this like a bottom line business decision for these companies? It, it is, but not quite the way you're saying it. In the case of Canada Goose, again, uh, I'm convinced because of all the statements they've always made, and right up till you know recently, you know, and and, and the president and Danny Reese, the family have always strongly supported and understood the value of furs, a practical, sustainably produced, responsibly produced, supporting northern communities. This has been really central to what they talk about in the whole the legend of Canada Goose. So that they turn around like this you know, is clearly as a result of pressure. Uh, Holt Renfrew is a bit different, ironic too, because Holt Renfrew actually began as a furrier 100 years ago. But, uh, you know, what happened, it belongs to the Weston family. And a couple of years ago, it's the daughter took over the company. She lives and has always lived in England. And she's very much part of a whole anti fur sort of in England, that whole mood. And that's where mm. that's coming from. It's somewhat different. Okay. Uh, but in the, in the case of Canada Goose, I think it's uh, it's clearly pressured. But look, the, the good news is there are other Canadian brands, great companies like Rudsack, like Moose Knuckles, like Novis, that are producing beautiful fur trims. And, and of course, all this claim that people don't want to wear it is, of course, nonsense. If you almost anywhere except Vancouver, if you go to any major city <laughs> uh, in Canada through the winter and you see all the young people wearing, you know, fur trim parkas. Clearly, it's not true that people don't want to wear it. Okay. But I, I'm, I'm mostly concerned that we're getting really misleading messages. Wear fur or don't wear fur. But let's not pretend that it's, uh, it improves sustainability to stop using fur. That's simply Thank not you. true. Thank you, Alan, for being a guest on the show once again today. Always a pleasure. Anytime. Okay, appreciate it. Alan Hersko, VC, their Truth About Fur. Doc. Let's get the other side of it now. My guest is Zoe Pallad. Zoe is the co-founder of the Ban Fur Farms BC campaign. Zoe, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thank you so much for having us on and being open to further dialogue about uh, a very important and very pertinent subject right now. Yeah, sure. You're welcome. Um, I just spoke to a, a fur industry official who's uh, yeah. unhappy with these setbacks. He says fur is sustain a sustainable industry that's great for Canada. What do you say to him? I I would say, so I actually wanted to, to address something. So yeah. Alan did write a, a formal letter to the Chilliwack Progress following some information they published about our campaign. And what I would like to kick off with, specifically in regards to that letter, is within his response, he refers to us as activists who are, uh, quote, imposing our values on others. And the reason why I would like to bring attention to that line specifically is this is not uncommon. And this is not uncommon because the minute that someone or an organization is labeled as, you know, animal activism or an animal activist, it is, it is often discredited. And the reality here is that, yes, animals are a very important part of this discussion, given that they are at the center of the industry. But this is not an animal activist issue. This is an everyone issue. 
because when we look at the industry and we look at the problematic components of the industry, they relate to animals, they relate to the environment, and they relate to public health. So this is not, this is not an issue that can be polarized as, as no. many organizations may try to do. And we really need to be looking at the entire picture here. Okay, you want to, you're asking the BC government to ban fur farms in British Columbia. How many of these fur farms are operating in BC right now? Do you know? I do. Right now, there are 11 fur farms operating in BC, okay. you know, that, that we are aware of. Ten of those are mink fur farms, and thus far, all of the COVID-19 outbreaks have occurred on mink fur farms. Yeah. And then the eleventh farm is a chinchilla fur farm. Right, and these fur farms say, of course, that they're heavily regulated by government. They're subject to in- inspections by official <laughs> government veterinarians, and the animals are are well cared for. Like, why do you want them banned? Roger. So I'm I'm going to just speak to the first part of your question, just to clarify some points about the regulatory process. So the regulations for fur farms, and this is the case for all farms, they are put into place by the National Farm Animal Care Council. So that is also known as the NFACC. And when we look at the folks who are developing those codes of practice, we need to acknowledge that the majority of individuals in those positions are also those who are already within the industry. So these codes are being established, however, they're being established from, you know, a very biased point of view, and we're looking at a lot of vested interest. Okay. In okay, let's our, take, yeah, let's yeah. just squeeze a couple of calls in here, Zoe, while we can. Mike in North, Mike in North Vancouver, go ahead, Mike. Hey, I, I wanted to thank Zoe for talking about the fur farm issue, but also speak to some of the things that Alan had said, uh, which were yep. really interesting, including calling us members of the mafia for disagreeing with him. Um, <laughs> but I think one of the really great things, too, is the history of coyotes, as he spoke to that, yeah. because coyotes have been you know, hunted to the point of governments actually trying to eradicate them for over 200 years, and now there are more coyotes. So it seems that the fur industry's concept of we need to control the population is actually going the other direction, which is also what the science says. Uh, <laughs> but I would like to hear more about the regulations on the fur farms. Uh, my understanding is the NFAC codes, they actually tried to reduce the cage sizes or prevent a cage size increase recently. I'll take my call off the air. Thanks. Okay, thank you for the call. Zoe, you've got, we only got 40 seconds left here. Go ahead. Got it. So as, as mentioned, there were currently some regulations that were, that were reassessed by the NFACC. However, as mentioned, because those regulations are prioritizing industry, they don't make much impact. And okay. if we look at what's happening now, and that is the fact that we are currently under an extreme heat advisory, imagine, imagine wearing a fur coat. So animals like mink, would typically find relief in the water, but on fur farms, they can't do that. Okay, Zoe, so, thank you. I hate, I hate to cut you off, but sadly we're out of time, but I want to thank you for your time, and thank you for being on the show today. Of course. Thanks again, and if anyone would like to discuss further or get more information, they can find us on our social channels. Thank you, Zoe. Zoe Pellet there, Ban Fur Farms BC Campaign.